think Daniel and Alyssa and the kids should get them a bus. What do you think? Uh, that was great singing. What a wonderful song. And great to see families lift their voices to the Lord. Appreciate you guys learning that and sharing with our church family. <clears throat> Such a blessing. All right, Acts 28. Can you believe it? I thought about preaching all of Acts 28 this morning, and I decided we're going to break it up for your benefit. And we're going to do 1 through 16 today. I thought about bringing a Maltese Viper in here to introduce my sermon, and I'm sure some health and wealth prosperity gospel guys would bring that uh, and talk about how that you can shake off the viper from biting you and come up with all kind of neat things, but I think we should just stick with the Bible, okay, and learn what uh, we, God would have us learn today. So the gospel is headed to Rome uh, at the Lord's bidding, and we think about Acts 1-8, and this is certainly the ends of the earth to the Israelite. That's the gospel would get there. We also think about Paul, just flipping back to Acts 20. And I just remembered something that I don't have on. All right. If I look down, I could certainly see why. Acts 20, listen, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we're seeing all of this come down to Acts 28. Uh, Pope Hill actually said that in a real sense, you're reaching the climax to the book of Acts when Paul hits Rome. And I think that is so true. And just keep in mind what the Lord said that the mission would be. And now we find ourselves in Acts 28 and Paul fulfilling the call of God upon his life uh, to be faithful, to testify the gospel. And not to count his life as something more important. Whatever, whatever that issue may be in life, the most important thing is to fulfill the mission. That's a good reminder for all of us that you may have a vo your vocation, uh, no matter what that vocation is. If you are a believer, then you've been called by God to fulfill a mission. Uh, Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, 18-20, John 20, 21. All of those we might look at and call the Great Commission. And it's well been said, that's not the Great Suggestion. It is a commission. It is a call. And it's not just a call for the preacher. It's not just a call for church staff. It's a call for every born-again believer that you have this mission in your mind. It changes everything about the way you think and about the way you live and meeting people and your job and your whatever your vocation is to know that you have been called by God to fulfill a mission, something that is way bigger than you are. And we need to be faithful to that. So, we had a harrowing ocean voyage last week. And Paul and 275 others are brought safely through to the land. They land in an island originally called uh, Malta, or Melita, I'm sorry, which is now modern day Malta. It is 58 miles south of Cilicia and 180 miles northeast of Africa. Notice the text. Acts 28. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> Acts 28. After we were brought safely through, 
we then learned that the island was called, translated, Malta. It's present-day Malta today. The native people, Greek word barbareo, meaning barbarian. That's what Paul calls them. The barbarian people, the native people, showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Thus the Maltese viper. Y'all see that? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said one to another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, uh, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that. In Acts 14, we see this too with Paul and Barnabas, right? This guy's got to be a god. And of course, the text tells you small g, which it is. So now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Paul refers to these people in Malta as barbarians. What does that mean? Sometimes we look at that and we think, what? barbarians. Now we call our children that sometimes, right? And we think about that terminology. But technically speaking, it would be someone that could not read or speak Greek. <laughs> what does that mean for you guys, right? <laughs> right? Barbarians. Uh, you are uncultured and you are a barbarian. No, from a Greco-Roman perspective, it simply meant that this kind of looking around at culture, if you are a barbarian, then that meant that in the Greco-Roman understanding, perspective, that you couldn't speak Greek or read it. But these people were not uncouth savages by any sense of the imagination. And so Luke makes an understatement in order to make an overstatement. Did you see that? He, they showed us unusual kindness. So we have these philanthropic barbarians. You know, literally, that is the word kindness that we're taking here. Uh, philanthropy. And these people are showing all kinds of kindness. But rain sets in and it gets cold. You ever been in that experience before? The worst recipe for futility is to be hunting in 30 degree weather or colder and it starts to rain. That's miserable. If you've ever been there, you just, you can't hardly uh, warm up no matter what you do. And so here's a situation where it's raining and they build a fire to keep them comfortable. Now, two things I want you to track with this text as we, as we go through it. First, the gospel advances with supernatural authentication. There's a reason, reason why God sees fit to perform the miracles in this text. And we've learned as we track through Acts that the gospel is what's vitally important. 
And every miracle has a purpose. It's not done willy-nilly. The miracle is to assist the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform a heart. Uh, what good is it if there's a miracle of physical healing but not spiritual healing? Right? So the goal here is to understand these are authenticating miracles uh, to authenticate Paul as an, as an apostle, 1 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians 12. And then there's also this issue of how Jesus performed miracles in the gospel. It was always for the authentication of the work of Christ that he is able to change lives. And so we've mapped this through Acts, correct? We'll come back to that in a few moments. But that's the first thing we're going to talk about. And then secondly, the gospel advances through brotherly encouragement when we pick up in verse 11. So we've gone 1 through 10, and the first point is we have these miracles. Supernatural authentication, and thus it advances the gospel of Christ. Have you all noticed that Paul is a pretty awesome dude? He has wonderful character. And when you arrive on this island and everybody else is picking up sticks and trying to build a fire, what does Paul do? He sits back in his lazy boy and he says, you know what? We'll let the deacons take care of that down at FBCO. Is that what happens? No, this guy is a worker. He is not going to sit still. He doesn't have the attitude to let the others do the work. If we're moving tables and chairs, it's easy for us here at FBCO to say, well, that's a menial job for somebody else. No, if God tells you to pick up a plunger, you pick it up. Is anybody listening? Whatever the task is, they pick it up, and, and Paul is working. He, he is a working man. But the Bible says uh, something of irony, right? He is, uh, survives a storm, shipwrecked, only to get bitten by a... Snake. Amen. <laughs> only to get bitten by a snake, a venomous snake. So he's piling up these sticks. He begins to place them in the fire. And due to the heat, meaning that evidently what he picked up had the serpent in it or what everybody else had thrown in. And he comes out due to the heat, latches upon Paul's hand. And most of us are thinking, I'm dead right there. Right? The text does not use the term to bite or bitten. But this is the terminology espoused in this text. No doubt, because the people standing around knew that Paul had been bitten and he was going to die in their understanding. So at the sight of this, uh, everybody's uh, attention is uh, garnered. And guess what happens? The natives, the barbarians, make their assessments. I mean, look, they couldn't read Greek, but they knew the Greek gods, right? And they knew that if something like this happened, then you were under the spell or the curse. They sense, uh, they understand the story. Paul had survived shipwreck. And he would, however, not escape the goddess of justice. The idea was the goddess of justice. You may have escaped her on the sea, but you're not going to escape the god of justice at this point. And he was bitten by the snake. And surely this man is going to die. And she is going to win the day, the goddess of justice. But the Bible says that Paul shook the viper off into the fire and suffered no harm. Wow. Now... If you've ever read some sermons of yesteryear and, and in the revivalistic age and even more appropriately in the health and wealth prosperity gospel of today, you would hear someone take this passage of scripture and challenge you to shake off the devil or any sin in your life because you might die from it. 
Or they may say, we've all been bitten by the snake of sin and we need to shake it off. Don't this preach well? Shake off the lying, the gossip, and the jealousy, and the disobedience to the word. Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Good morning. What's that hanging on your wrist? Church member, shake it off. You better shake that off. What's your viper? Right? I heard one sermon given by a guy. I didn't listen to it because I just heard the intro and had enough. But the fact is, he said that one day he was in his barn and a wasp flew down and stung him. And he began to think about, as he walked to the house, Acts chapter 28. So he just shook it off and it went away. The sting went away. Well, bless his heart. Right? Look, let me tell you something profound here. This is going to be really profound. Write it down. This is the meaning of the text. A snake latches hold of Paul's hand and he shook it into the fire. And it died. Pretty profound, right? But that's what the text says. Now, do you like snakes? No, I don't either. I know Amanda doesn't like snakes because she's already told us. But Paul just shakes it off. I mean, man of composure. Uh, he shakes it off into the fire, keeps working. He's apparently, according to the narrative, he's pretty calm and collected. I think there's a reason for this. It's probably twofold. Number one, where is he going to get to? Right? How many times has the Lord said this to him, that you're going to get to Rome? And perhaps he also remembered the words of Christ in the longer uh, ending of Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 16, again, notice the authenticating purpose of this. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. Mm. Pretty interesting, huh? Uh, that Paul is actually living out this. Maybe he remembered the words of Christ and probably did. Now... Paul probably thought everything's going to be all right. It'll work out. I'm going to get to Rome, and we know what Jesus said. He has the, the, the ability and the power to heal us from anything that we may go through. Why? So that the gospel will get to the ends of the earth. So, at this point, the barbarians change their position. Y'all see the text? They move from the fact that you are a murderer. They don't see him swell up. They don't see him drop over dead. And so their conclusion is, Paul, you must be a god. And again, this is not the first time they were mistaking individuals like this upon the supernatural work of Christ. In Acts 14, we see the same thing with Paul and Barnabas. And what we know about that is if a, a black mamba or a, uh, a rattlesnake without treatment, you didn't get treatment, we know that if these things were to bite you, you're going to die. But that's not the case here. Since he did not drop dead, then their conclusion again was that you are a God. But the issue is they're wrong. Right? We could actually say Paul was a murderer. Y'all know the terroristic aspect of who Paul was? Killing Christians. And, but the fact is, they get it wrong again because he's not a God. Now pick up reading in verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place where lands belonging to the chief man of the island, we, we read this a while ago, he, he, his, his mother is sick, uh, father, I'm sorry, and he has fever and dysentery, and you know the story. Here we see the, the miracle, not only of a snake bite, but also of 
of the Lord using Paul as an instrument of healing. So the chief official of the island welcomes Paul and his companions for three days in his own house. Again, man, what a guy like Paul. I mean, he's just gotten there. And I know, supernatural, miracle. Uh, he got uh, the snake bite. We all know that. But still, he's invited into the home of the leading official of the island. The man is a prisoner of Rome. Don't forget this. He's on the ship. He's, he's a prisoner for Rome, yet there's something about him. We're going to start in Daniel, maybe in September. Is there something about Paul that's similar to Daniel? You better believe it. As it said of Daniel, there's a special, different kind of spirit in him. And Paul finds out that Publius's father suffers from fever and dysentery. We learn from Sir William Ramsey, who actually was an archaeologist over 100 years ago, that the Malta fever was very common. And what he studied was sometimes it took up to three years to get over it. Can you imagine? We think about people on the foreign mission field that deal with sicknesses for extended amount of times, but he's been suffering from fever and dysentery, and it was debilitating. And Paul goes in, prays for him, and God heals him. Now, everyone on the island hears about this, don't they? According to the text, it, it gets spread out that something's going on. And others came to be healed, and it was so. And this is in direct application to 2 Corinthians 12.12. 12 with accompanying signs of what it meant to be, according to the Bible, an apostle. And so Luke doesn't go into this, but can't you imagine that Paul, could you imagine that Paul would heal people uh, from Christ as an instrument, Jesus did the healing, but not share the gospel? Can you imagine that happening? He's going to be there how long, according to verse 11? We're not there yet, but, but three months. So, I guarantee you, Paul used the healings as uh, authentication for the work of Jesus Christ in order to share the gospel with them. So, Paul was neither a murderer nor a god in a technical sense. Rather, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And why was he there? To fulfill the mission that Christ had given him. Is it not amazing what a positive witness can do to a people? You work somewhere. You live somewhere in a home. You had that opportunity to be that kind of powerful witness among those that you live and breathe and have your being. We uh, have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had. The same Christ that's mighty to save back then is the same Christ mighty to save today. Dr. David Mitchell is a member of this church. He's also a professor at uh, Missouri State and... He and his wife Jennifer visited the island of Malta a couple of years ago. And as they were getting ready to taxi out or leave, to get to the airport, to leave, they saw and noticed that the people were celebrating. And they were getting ready for parades, and, and they were, the stores were closing, banks were closing. So on the way back to the airport, they're riding with a taxi guy, and they ask him, what's going on? Is this like a national holiday? What's the deal? And he said... This is an annual celebration of the day when the Apostle Paul shipwrecked on this island and brought the gospel to the people of Malta and delivered us from sin. Isn't that amazing? You're talking about authentication of the gospel of Christ. And David talked about his father was a pastor. 
And he always said that God is able to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. God has the ability. God has the power to get it done. And we just think about the ramifications of a shipwreck on the island of Malta. Folks, do y'all know how sovereign our God is? He is so sovereign to get his gospel to the ends of the earth. And the repercussions of that are still lived out today on that island. And I say, hallelujah for a Savior. How awesome it is. The authenticating supernatural work of healing led to salvations. And it's also interesting, Brother David, I think you're in here somewhere, that they didn't talk a lot about uh, the miracles. They talked about the gospel. The ultimate miracle is to be delivered from the power of sin. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Remember what the gospel is. That glorious gospel. Good news of Christ. Moreover, Paul said, I declare to you the gospel. That Jesus died according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he rose again the third day. The glorious gospel that's able to transform your life. Salvation on the flip side is in response to the gospel. Right? That God would save you from the penalty of your sin uh, give you a righteousness that's an awesome awesome prospect so authenticating signs as the gospel advances number two the gospel advances with brotherly encouragement beginning in verse 11 by the way I have to say this Julius and Publius sounds like two guys that would be part of a hip-hop band right I mean, these names will stump you sometimes. But All right, verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered. Notice, he's there. Three months. Can you imagine the amount of gospel presentations in that amount of time for Paul? That was equal to or more than many of his stays that established churches in those respected places throughout the book of Acts. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Awesome. Again, fulfillment. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God, took courage. And when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. The gospel advances through brotherly encouragement. So 11 through 16. Again, think all the way back to Acts 19 when the text started moving us geographically toward a destination. Acts 19, all the way to 28, there's been this geographical movement toward Rome. And Paul finally gets there. We really can't read Paul's arrival in Rome without reflecting on the plan of our Savior to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I keep repeating that. But folks, I know we're here uh, in Ozark, Missouri. And I know it's July. And I know it's summertime. I know it's 2019. But the same message is the same message that Jesus gave. is the same one we're called to give today. The same mission that we're on today. We can't stress that enough for you. Notice they leave on an Alexandrian ship. 
And the ship has the sons of Jupiter as the figureheads on the ship. They were the patron gods of the sea for sea travelers. The names of the false gods were Castor and Pulix. The idea was they watched over the seamen as they went on the sea, as they traveled. Now, why would you think that Luke would give us this little tidbit of information? I think if there's a theological reason for it, it's because of this. It is the God of heaven who is watching over Paul on that ship. Not these twin figurehead gods on the front of the boat. No sons of Jupiter even exist. So God, our sovereign God, looks over our lives. Our sovereign God takes care of Paul upon the sea. So this journey doesn't compare to the first one, does it? I mean, this is smooth sailing according to nautical terms and what we're looking at. But they go around the toe of Italy. They come up to a place called Pitulua. And then they, which is actually... The Gulf of Naples is where that is. So it is here where they found some brothers. Now what, is this not amazing? If you're a Bible student and you were reading along and you know that that's the ends of the earth and Paul came from Jerusalem, how in the world is it that the gospel had already gotten there? Isn't that awesome? Now think with me, what's going on here? So again, many brothers come and meet him. They travel as far as 10 to 30 miles to greet Paul. And at this point of history, these people only know Paul through his writings. Yet, they count him as a dear brother and a companion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Paul was greatly encouraged. Would it not be an encouragement to know that you actually wrote a magnificent gospel treatise Led by the Holy Spirit of God, which is called the book of Romans. Romans. Right? He wrote the book of Romans prior to this ship voyage. And they had already received this letter. And they've read the word of the living God that was delivered to them. Don't ever underestimate the power of the written word and how that missionaries labor to translate the word of God into the language of the people. We need that. Uh, Ken Satorius and Miss Kathy were missionaries uh, over in Africa for years and years and years. And to the Budek uh, people, I think I'm saying that right. But anyway, they, they gave them, a, were able to translate the entire Bible in his stay there for 35 years. And were able to give, they didn't even have letters for this particular language. And yet they, just by hearing it vocalized, put it, just think about the magnitude of translating the Word of God and leaving it to a people. Talking about an unbelievable uh, gift to the people. But here it is. They count him as a brother. Paul was grateful to God. Uh, In the ancient world, I want to remind you that friendships were a whole lot more valuable than they are today. That's unfortunate, isn't it? But friendships were huge. The idea that you would have someone who loved you and that they would sacrifice for you was something to be cherished. And I don't know if you have friends like that, but I hope you do. Uh, across my years in the ministry, I have a few of those, right? Uh, one pastor once told me, you'll really be able to count on one hand how many guys through your ministry that you can really count as a friend. Especially when you preach the truth. I'm not, I don't feel ashamed about that. I'm going to keep preaching the truth whether you ever like me or not. Or call me a friend. But the fact of the matter is, 
That's what you see here. Cherished. John Stott says of this encounter, It must have been an emotional experience for Paul to meet persons, the first members of the church to which he had addressed his theological and ethical treatise of the book of Romans. They received that book. Uh, they, were, they didn't know Paul, but here now they're able to travel 10 to 30 miles to meet the man personally who wrote, led by the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God. The most theological book in all the New Testament. These people received this book and they began to read the book of Romans. Well, what we find here at the end of this section is Paul is granted his own quarters. You know how sweet this is? You're not, you're not in the same cell with anybody else. God gave him his own place with his own guard. Now, if you get in trouble nowadays, they give you a little ankle bracelet. If you're uh, incarcerated at home and you can't move around. But back in that day, you had more than that. You had a guard, right, for your house arrest. And so he has freedom in his own. By the way, who would have paid for these rented quarters? That's exactly right. No three meals today back, back in that day in prison unless you paid for it. No place to stay back in that day uh, like this unless you actually rented it. So here he is. He has freedom in rented quarters. He's chained to a soldier. And it's during this time that Paul is going to write something called the prison epistles. Do you guys know which books these are? They would be Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, he didn't waste any time, did he? But those two years that he's there, or more or so, could be, he's writing the Word of God. It's during this time that Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6, the incredible lesson on the armor of God. Can you imagine Paul sitting there in prison, house arrest, in his own quarters, and he just kind of looks over at that Roman centurion. He starts saying, hey, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel. The sword, wake up, of the spirit, right? And he begins the helmet of salvation. Boy, is that important? Man, if you don't have your helmet screwed on straight, you're in trouble right then. You ever seen anybody run out in the battlefield with it turned backwards? It doesn't work too well. And I want to remind you, a lot of you Baptists, you don't have your helmet of salvation on correctly. You just don't. It's either deficient theology of understanding of salvation, or you're not cherishing the grace of God. Like you should. All of us are guilty at times. But here's the deal. He's riding on the armor of God. I don't know how long the shifts were for each guard. But don't you know that they heard the gospel from start to finish? I guess if the Holy Spirit of God was pricking that heart the first time they went in. When their shift came back around. Don't you know they went in there with excitement. Because they were going to get to hear the gospel. They knew. And when you get to the end of Philippians. There's no question that some of those guards had come to faith in Jesus Christ because it mentions names that people will believe would have been associated as Roman centurions. So Paul is sharing the gospel. But for some of those guys who were repelling the gospel, don't you know they thought, here we go again. It's my shift, and I've got to get chained to Paul. But here's the deal. The chains that Paul had were earthly chains, but the most important chains, according to 2 Corinthians, is the fact that he was chained to the Savior. That he belonged to Jesus. And no matter what, he was going to bring the gospel forward. So here is Paul in Rome. God's word has come to pass. God's providence has secured Paul's arrival. And just stop and consider these final few chapters we've gone through. A plot from the Jews. Remember those 40? Boy, I know they're hungry by now, right? 
Those 40 people that said we're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead, you got those 40. You've got the terrible storm. You've got shipwreck. And then you've got a Maltese viper that bites him. Yet the providence of God oversaw every single bit of this. And it is awesome to think that Paul was going to get to Rome no matter what. God was in control. God's sovereign decree said, you're going to go to Rome. And folks, our God has a perfect track record. If he makes the promise, he's going to come through with it. So he trusted God to keep his word. And all along the way, he glorified God through the process. Look, a lot of contention, a lot of conditions, a lot of difficulty. But he kept his focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I've learned. You can either go through life one of two ways. You can either entrust yourself to the sovereignty of God and let him, just trust in him with the entire outcome. Or you can go through life saying that you believe in the sovereignty of God. But on the flip side, you're worrying, you're fretting, you're tossed to and fro, you're back and forth, you're wavering unbelief. But can I tell you a little secret? You're going to get to the same place in the end. Are you all listening? If you're a believer, you need to see the sovereignty of God in one of two ways. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Or you can have the attitude and say, well, yeah, I believe God is sovereign. But then you just cringe. Yeah, God, you're, you're sovereign. I see that. But I'm worrying and I'm fretting and I'm anxious. But you're going to get to the same place, folks. If the sovereign God has decreed it, I would just go ahead and tell you, folks, why don't you just trust God with the outcome? Why don't you just trust him? Trust him. So Paul's gaze was fixed. And he knew, come shipwreck or snake bite, that he would arrive where God intended for him to arrive. Arrive? Why? Because the king said so. All right. Let's end this section by reminding you of three things. First, if you belong to Jesus, you can trust God in his providence. If you belong to him this morning, God is at work in your life. He's at work in your life accomplishing his purpose. He's conforming you ultimately to the image of Christ. Now, I could ask you that theological question. Ultimately, why did God save you and what's the inevitable reason? Well, it's for His glory. We get that. It's for your eternal salvation. But remember, God saved you in essence and left you on this earth to conform you more to the image of His Son. Right? That's what this is about. He's conforming you to the image of His Son. He's fashioning you into what He would have you to be. And the ultimate reality is it is predestined. According to Romans 8, that you would be conformed to the image of his dear son. God keeps his promises. You may not understand this morning everything that's happening in your life and all the twists and terms, turns. You may think, well, I should have zigged when I should have zagged. The fact of the matter is, God is working for the believer's good and his glory. If you belong to Jesus, take that with you, home with you. Number two, you can rejoice in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Think about this. In light of what we're seeing in Malta here, in light of God visiting these cities and countries throughout the book of Acts, you need to think about this. You are among the reached people in the world. The gospel came to you. The gospel came to me. We should never stop pondering that truth. God did not have to allow the gospel to come to you. No matter what you think in America that you actually deserve it, none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. God sent to you the gospel of grace. 
you ought to never, ever, ever stop pondering how awesome it is to be saved by grace through faith. We ought to all marvel at God's grace to reach us with the gospel. Way over here, away from Rome, right? Way over here, away. Into the earth, kind of, away. And the gospel reached you. I don't know where you were saved and the time and the circumstances. But you need to be thankful that the grace of God reached you. Amen? Remember the old song, it reaches to the highest mountain. Flows to the deepest valleys. The blood of Jesus Christ can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. But aren't you so thankful that grace came to you? Third, we need to align ourselves and this church with the mission of God. Jesus has a mission that extends to the ends of the earth. We don't need to waste time. We don't need to waste time, folks. Let's align ourselves with Christ's mission for the good of the nations and for the glory of our Savior. How are you doing in that one in particular? Aligning yourself with that mission. Uh, We think at times that the goal is that we get up on Sunday morning and it's church day. And we come and corporately worship and we sing and we hear the word preached. And after that, well, it's just over until next Sunday. No, folks, the reality is when you align yourself with the mission of Christ, the mission isn't over until Jesus returns or until you breathe your last on this earth. So it's every day of the week you're called by God to align yourself with that purpose. So I'm encouraging you to do that on the authority of Scripture. I'm encouraging you to align yourselves. And I know we're doing a lot here I know that we, we have plans. We're, we're going over to Guatemala and we're headed to Vietnam coming up in the fall for just a vision trip to figure out what God would have us do. And that one more than likely will be an unreached people group. Isn't that awesome? So we're excited about those kinds of things. But what about Ozark, Missouri? What, what about our own community? Our own neighbors that don't know Christ? You have a mission from God. I'm not trying to get on your case. I'm just trying to tell you to be open to the sensitivity of the Spirit, I promise you He'll prod you if you're, in, if, you're, if you're in touch with Him, Acts chapter 8. If you're in touch with the Spirit of God every day of your life, because He lives in you if you're saved, correct? You need to ask Him to help you be sensitive to the fact that there's a lost world out there. And we need to align ourselves with that focus. Amen? Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, God, just thank You for the Gospel. Uh, for the power of Jesus. To advance that gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I just praise you that the gospel reached me. But Lord, we can't be satisfied with just the fact that it reached us. Lord, we don't need to be selfish, pious, biased. We need to know that it's only you that can save sinners. No matter who they are. No matter what they've done. Your grace can reach them. And Lord Jesus, we just praise you for the gospel. We ask that you would help us to trust in your providence in life. Father, help us to align ourselves with that particular mission found in the Bible. It's singular mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all men and women, to teach all things concerning what you have taught us in the word of God. Help us to do that. Lord, Uh, Father, send revival into our hearts. Lord, that your people, who
who are called by your name. Father, that we would see what you would have, you've called us to do as a church, individually and corporately as a body. And Father, we, we ask that you would seal this sermon into our hearts and help us to have that attitude of Acts 20, 24, that we don't count our lives as precious. Anything to be accounted for in the sense of holding on to it in comparison to taking the gospel of Jesus uh, to our neighbors, to our workplaces, and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.